0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Like,
1: like the other regulators, ASIC and APRA, for example, has put out a media release um, last week, which is quite—it's um, a bit vague. So they're not, but they're not giving anybody a free pass. But they are saying that um, they will. Um, uh, work constructively with you as you manage your money laundering and terrorism financing risks during this disruptive period.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have with us our AML expert, um, Andrew Ham, the person we go to for all, all things AML. How are you, Andrew?
1: Hello, Kwame. I'm very well.
0: Uh, so today we're going to have a chat about the the annual compliance report, which is due, I think, on Monday. Um, I, I think it's an interesting time to have a conversation about the report, not just because um, it, it's good to remind people what they need to do and that it needs to be done, but also, I guess, in the, I guess, current circumstances that might lead to some sort of delays um, in the reporting process. So I guess we could sort of start with the the basics. I mean, has anything changed? Um, what is, you know, what, has any, you know, what has remained the same in terms of getting that compliance report out?
1: Yes, hello, uh, hello, Kwame, thank you. Um, firstly, I'm pleased to be able to give everybody an extra day. Um, the report's due on the 31st, which is actually Tuesday, so um, you can all relax, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> uh, the I guess um, this year's compliance report to Austrak looks a lot like um, the one last year and that is a big change from uh, what went before. So I suppose the questions are reflecting the increased sophistication of Austrac in how it's overseeing the obligations and um, I think it's also um, true that Austrac is a bit more sophisticated in how it uses the answers that it gets. So um, the the report, of course, is for the year ended the 31st of December. So the actual substance of your answers won't be affected by the current pandemic, but um, how you complete the report, unless you're extremely organized and got it done very early, um, obviously I suppose will be. Um, In particular, um, a lot of these Um, Questions require the collation of a fair bit of data and really a a bottom up approach. So, you know, from a governance perspective for the um, person that is able to sign the report to have confidence in the answers, then there would ideally be a fair bit of consultation along the the track so that um, there's evidence to support the um, information you've given Lost track, and that's obviously harder to get when we're all online. So one of the um, techniques that you can use, um, which also goes not only to the process but also to the substantive answers, where perhaps the questions you, the answer you want to give to a particular question, um, isn't quite um, available to you. So it may not be a yes/no. It might be a yes, but or a sometimes. Um, then uh, OSTRAC is um, very keen to be um, transparent and work with the regulated population, so the reporting entities. So um, it is quite um, encouraged to to write to them and explain. So, um, and I know there are some large uh, reporters such as Tabcorp, who would be one of the biggest there is, um, and their compliance manager, at a, at a um, the AML Congress last year was quite uh, transparent that um, that's what they do. So there's a model to follow.
0: Yeah, excellent. So you talk about the obviously they need to collect uh, quite a bit of data on the bottom up approach. So what happens if you know you're in the process of collecting your data and for some reason um, the coronavirus is somehow made it difficult for you to reach certain people or collect the data that you need to get the report in on time? How, how does one deal with the potential late report?
1: Surely. Um, that's that's an excellent and very um, timely question, isn't it? And Austrac, like the other regulators, ASIC and APRA, for example, has put out a media release um, last week, which is quite... Um, it's a bit vague, so they're not. But they're not giving anybody a free pass, but they are saying that um, they will um, uh, work constructively with you as you manage your money laundering and terrorism financing risks during this disruptive period. So you could have a fair bit of comfort, I think, if you were um, a few days or a week late with getting the report in. That Ostrek would not. Um, view that too harshly. Um, That's, I suppose, supported by their enforcement approach generally, which um, I've had it directly from senior Austrac people that um, they really only take action when um, there's been a dialogue and it's clear that the reporting entity, at least clear to Austrac, Austrac forms the view if you like, that um, the reporting entity is not Moving fast enough to address the issues, but you know a one-off issue of being a week or so late, or even you know more than that, um, with a section 47 report isn't going to trigger um, undue action from Austrac, I would be fairly confident to suggest.
0: Right. So I, I guess the most important part for organizations then is to just make sure that they're in communication with OzTrack, you know, keep those lines open and make sure they understand where you're coming from really and document it. That,
1: yes, that that's right, exactly. That's that's all good um regulatory relationship building and and good compliance, isn't it? So, you know, particularly when you consider that I think, you know, the latest sort of comments I've seen in the media are that this um crisis may well last into May or June, um, when it's expected to peak at the moment, if anyone knows at all, um, that's a long way off. And so if there are substantial delays, likely, it would be probably a good idea to just contact Austrac, tell them and um, rely on their um, commitment to work constructively with you as um we all manage the, the, um, the issues during this disruption.
0: Right. So, um, you know, we obviously have talked about the current environment, um, a few times. Um, so one of the things I think would be an interesting thing to approach them is really looking at, I guess, how this has impacted businesses in the way their normal day to day business. And one of the things that we've talked about before this podcast is the fact that, um, it has really put businesses, business continuity plans to the test. Um, I, I guess we will really see, um, you know, who had, I, I guess it's not really something you planned for. Not many BCPs were, I guess, had pandemics in mind when they were set up in the first place. Um, what do you think or might be some of the other areas that might be missing from these plans that might come back to haunt them?
1: Yes, yeah, so well I, I think one of the, one of the unusual, um, well, you know, perhaps the biggest, um, thing that is going to uh, impact is the sheer length of time that we're likely to be you know in this in this position and effectively shut down you know most you think about most um, disasters you know usually when a a risk manager is looking at a business continuity plan they're looking at things like a fire or a or a flood or maybe if they're thinking about disease they're thinking about SARS uh, which didn't have anything like the, the, you know, the the strength of impact or the likely, you know, period of impact um, that we're facing now. So, you know, it's all very well to work from home for a week or two, but, um, you know, uh, we're all you know, sort of relying on domestic grade, um, you know, Wi-Fi and and all that sort of thing. Yep. Um, You know, sitting sitting on the not very ergonomically designed um, dining room chair. So, how we're going to feel in two months' time um, might be quite different to you know the fact that we're sort of managing now. Um, The other thing, just to think about in all of this, I suppose, is and thinking about the SARS experience. um, I did have a client during that pandemic if it was whatever i forget its exact status but the client's head office was in hong kong where there was it was a very serious issue and um, this was one of the largest financial services companies in the world and they were issuing um, kits to their entire workforce to work from home which included things like rubber gloves and thermometers and i think um, you know, um, it was it was quite a sophisticated, expensive little box, um, and there there would have been hundreds of thousands of them. So, and of course, it all sat there under the desk. Um, it was certainly never used in Australia, and, you know, all this expensive equipment just gently expires and goes in the bin. So, if I was their risk manager, I would be thinking carefully about, you know, the long-term costs of maintaining that kind of a control for you know the next pandemic um, based on that experience you know this current experience may well lead to a different assessment but um, of course it's extraordinarily expensive to keep when you think that some of this sort of medical grade stuff expires in 12 months or I don't know less, um, and would have to be um, continuously monitored and renewed it's it's a it's an enormous cost just in terms of replacement and um, another enormous cost to monitor it.
0: Uh, So another issue that we talked about um before this podcast as well was we we addressed the issue of key person risk and I was wondering if you could just explain a bit about what that is.
1: Yes of course so this um issue again I think given um the health implications of of what's in front of us is really exposing the risk that um, various organizations particularly smaller ones will have in relation to um, coverage of key roles if somebody you know God forbid gets sick so um, t- typically it's people like the CEO and the CFO that uh, you know if you chop the head off the The organization then um, you need to be able to carry on and you know people have often thought about that and there are you know plans in place for someone to step in and you know um, ways to access you know the information that they have and carry on Um, similarly you know CFOs might have teams but in this environment you know there's many technical roles for example within most organizations which which you can't do without, you know, particularly in the current um, situation, your IT guy. So if you're a, for example, if you outsource your IT to a, a provider, um, an external provider, and it's a one-man band and the one man gets um, unwell, yeah, then he's, he's out of action for two months or, you know, maybe who knows. And so you should be thinking carefully about what happens then and whether you've got a backup in place, which um, might, mean, you know, might mean engaging a, a firm with which is a two-man band or it might mean um, having a, a backup engagement there who can you know, pick up the reins in, in case of need. So what I'm saying, sorry, Kwame, so what I'm saying, I suppose, is is to um, think broadly about where your key person risks might lie and they might, you know, in the current situation, they might be in uh, different places to where you might usually expect to find them.
0: Yeah, and sorry about that, but I was going to ask, is the key person risk something that um, only affects small or SMEs or is it something that would also affect larger organisations as well?
1: No, I'd, I'd suggest that it does affect organisations of all sizes, um, but larger organisations are better placed to manage it uh, just because they've got large numbers of people. And so if any one person is taken out for um, because of illness or for whatever other reason, um, you know, maybe the travel restrictions are um, mean that they're stranded somewhere, then um, you've got more capacity to manage that if you've got um, more resources within the organisation that have the relevant expertise or access or skills, you know, whatever the whatever the issue is that makes that person a key person.
0: Right. And uh, I guess the final question, really, I mean, all that we've talked about with the, the current environment and the business continuity plans and the key person risk um, I mean, what advice? What other advice do you really have for risk and compliance professionals, or who are trying to meet their obligations um, under these circumstances?
1: I think the I think the uh, the the advice I'd give is is really um, twofold. The first is, particularly in the AML space, that um, you know, as AML practitioners and financial crime practitioners, we know that um, the financial crime we're trying to fight treats disruptions like this as an enormous opportunity so it's just because um, so we we do have a really a messaging um, challenge with the businesses that we support to um, make sure they understand that just because you know the business is distracted and fighting for survival um, doesn't potentially doesn't mean that um, the the uh, financial crime issues have gone away um, and that regulators have, while regulators have all adjusted their enforcement priorities and um, in many cases uh, reduced their uh, surveillance, if you like, um, both to protect their own staff as well as to put resources where they're most needed, um, that doesn't mean that the law has been suspended. So um, I guess the only other thing that I would like to add is to go back to um, the impact on the business. As I said, you know we're we're all reacting and and trying to respond to a very rapidly changing um, set of uh, situation and set of circumstances, Mm. and that it may well take time for. The um, compliance programs that you run, you know, for example, your AML program, to catch up to with what you're actually having to do on the ground. So, um, say for example, if you're a business that does predominantly face-to-face um, selling, and because of the um, the pandemic, you have moved rapidly and you know, in a sort of a, an ad hoc way to online and electronic forms of meeting to keep up with your clients. Then um, absolutely, you need to do what you need to do to keep the business functioning, but don't forget that you need to adjust your AML program as well to do the risk assessments for electronic um, channels um, where those have been established or expanded as a result of what's happened. Um, to do the um, and to update the uh, the program itself. So where that's necessary. So austrax media release from the 18th of March, I think does give you some comfort that they will um, forgive some lag in the program being updated and board approved to reflect the business changes that you've had to make. But that doesn't mean that you can forget about those bits of housekeeping lists. They've still got to be done.
0: Very well, excellent. that's it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, Andrew, Um, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, Kwame, and you too. Stay safe. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.